Hey there, you're listening to the High Power Archery Podcast with your host, Angel Garcia. Join us in exploring the world of archery as we guide you on the path to becoming a better archer. We're sure you will find this podcast both insightful and inspiring while learning valuable tips along the way. Now, here's your host, Angel Garcia. Hello, and welcome to episode two of the High Power Archery Podcast. In our last episode, we uh, discussed getting started in archery, where to get your equipment from, from either online, a pro shop, or a big box store, you know, the pros and cons to each one, and also discussed how to get started as far as getting some training, that it was very important that uh, you get a little bit of training to get you started on the path. So in today's episode, we're gonna get into how to go about finding a coach, finding an instructor, and what actually you should be looking for in a coach and actually what it means to be a coach in the first place. And I'll be a little blunt about this. There are a lot of people out there who are certified coaches who teach by the book and there's nothing wrong with that. But their techniques are kind of dry, whereas it may work with some people and not with others. and. Unfortunately, what they'll do is, okay, you're paying for half hour, an hour of training. So we're gonna go ahead and do this. We're gonna go through the motions and if you get it, great. If you don't get it, well, too bad. Um, that's not the way I do it and it's not the way I think that any legitimate coach should be doing it. That brings up another question, like what is a legitimate coach? Well, there's a lot of things that bring up, we can discuss about that. One of them is this, a coach is someone who can help you learn, who can point out what you're doing wrong and help you to correct it. They do so by adapting to each individual student. No two students are alike. It's not a cookie cutter sort of thing. So now, how do I go about finding somebody who's gonna do this for me? Well, most ranges and most shops, they usually have somebody there who's proficient at doing this sort of thing. Um, and then there's other resources you can go to, like you can go to the USA Archery website and you can view all the coaches in your area, their various levels, um, what their qualifications are. All of that is plainly listed online. Now there's two different things that I like to bring up. The first one is, if it's for an adult, then pretty much the decision's up to you. It's your money. You're, you're paying that out there, and you'll quickly be able to determine if what this coach is showing you is actually doing anything for you. Are you getting anything out of it? So that's important, okay? They have to be able to help you, and if you see that you're not getting anything out of it, you're not getting any, like, feedback, you know, he's just saying, well, do this, do that, sometimes that doesn't work for people. And some people can learn out of a textbook like that. It doesn't always work. So in the end, you decide, well, I tried it. It's not working. Don't be discouraged. There's other people out there. Then there's another facet to this that I'm going to bring up. It's kind of a touchy subject. But, okay, getting a coaching certificate doesn't mean that you're a good coach. It just doesn't. It means you know the basics of what the particular organization wants you to teach out there and you know what their core requirements are so like i'm a usa archery level three 
NTS coach. And that means I've gone through a certain amount of training and I know the NTS system, how they want it taught. I also know what to look for in a student how not, so they cannot hurt themselves. Uh, in the advanced levels, you learn about periodization, you learn how to work through a student's issues and how to teach by the book. And then you adapt that to how you teach and you can use that as a great tool to helping students. That in no means, by no means, has any meaning towards, yeah, took a test, know how to do it, can I actually apply this to a student to help them? That comes from experience, okay? So it's a piece of paper. But in the case of someone who's looking for a coach for their child, well, here's why it's important. Part of the USA Archery Training and Certification Program from level one all the way up to level three, level four, level five, is that you have to go through a background investigation, okay? Why am I bringing this up? You have to have the confidence in who you're gonna bring your kids to for, for coaching. Somewhere in the back of your mind, you may be wondering like, do I really even know who this person is? Well, if it's by word of mouth, you may know a lot of people who have used them before and that's great and sometimes you don't. Well, USA Archery has them go through a background check and also through some training for what to look for if a kid may be being abused, um, that sort of thing. Also, how to avoid you know, problems with interaction between different kids on a team. And all that's very important. To the parent, what I see as the most important part is you can actually make sure that you're not bringing your kid to a criminal or something like that because they've passed in a background investigation. That doesn't mean you should be lax and like not keeping an eye on what they're doing, but by all means, it gives you a little bit more peace of mind because they've had a criminal background check, so you're not bringing your kid to some whack job out there. And that should put you a little bit at ease, but by all means, still keep an eye on what's going on. Okay, so you can find a coach by word of mouth, by reference, and like I said, certification in the USA Archery terms means that you've passed the test, you've passed the training, uh, you've passed a background check. But again, it's just a piece of paper. It doesn't mean that you know how to coach. And as I said before, every person is different. You have to know how to adapt to a different student. So, okay, you go to a coach. What can you expect to learn? Well, Different people have different ways of teaching. I find that if you throw everything at someone at one time, they're not gonna remember half of it. So when I start with young people, when I start with adults, it's just give them the basics, like here, this is how you draw back, and I teach them how to draw without hurting themselves. Uh, this is how you hold, and this is how you aim. And we go from there, and I build a different step during every session. The other thing that you should be looking for is you have to be able to gauge a student's progress. Well, as a parent, how do you do that? By sitting there watching like, well, they're kind of hitting the middle of the target now. No, you should actually have, and I do this for all my students, what we call a logbook. And what that is is from the first day, we'll take out a regular composition notebook and we'll mark down how many arrows they shot that day, the date, um, what particular 
area of work we're, we're dealing with. Well, are we dealing with their form? Are we dealing with holding? What skill we're learning that day? And towards the second or third session, what we'll start doing is, okay, out of the, say, 50 shots you took today, how many were good and how many were bad? And the reason why I do this is because after a couple of weeks, a couple of months, they can actually look back and be like, wow, I've been going from being able to shoot 20 arrows in a half an hour to 30, 40, 50. So they can see they're getting stronger. And then when they look at how many were bad shots, they strive to do better and they can see how they've been improving. It also tells you if they're plateauing or flatlining on something so that you can work on it. So they can always go back. And if they're going over a skill, I have them make little notes on there. Like, what did you learn today? Put it in there. So that's very important. And I find that it helps a lot of our, our students grow faster because they can refer to something. If they're having a problem where all of a sudden they're dropping out of the, out of the target and we went over that, they go back and like, oh, if I'm dropping out, this is what I do. They can correct themselves. They can be doing that and looking at, at shots and going back through their history even when they're not at the range working out. So, got the logbook going through it. Like I said, every student's different. Students are going to progress at different rates. A lot of times I'll get siblings that are brought to me and roughly around the same age, but one will take to it really fast and another one won't. Well, that's because everybody's different. And as a coach, you have to pace it and know how to introduce something to somebody and not to push them too hard. I'm going to make something very clear. If you are bringing a young person to a coach and they're not enjoying it or they don't want to be there in the first place, I don't care how much you push them. They're never going to get anywhere with it. But if the coach makes it fun for them, makes it so that they see progress in their performance, then they want to keep doing it. So it's very important that the person who's taking the coaching want to be there and see improvement. Otherwise, why are they doing it for in the first place? Now, I'll add another thing to this. There's the old, like, rigid rule, like, well, a coach should be firm. They should be, you know, very stern with the student. I'm not into all that because it'll cause people to shut down. And if you're looking for a coach who's going to be yelling and screaming at you because you think that that's going to result in better performance because he's so strict. Well, I'm not the guy to talk to. And frankly, anyone who teaches like that has got issues that I'm not even going to get into. Because I find that if it works with maybe one person or two people, yeah, there's about 100 it doesn't work with. So what's the point in the first place? And students should not have any kind of fear when it comes to dealing with a coach. I mean, kids I train and adults I train, they look forward to their lessons every week when they come to see me. Also, and a lot of this focuses on younger people, but it's the same for adults, whatever. But in this case, this one point does happen to uh, pertain to, uh, to, a, to a young person, and that is Coaches are not substitutes for babysitters. And I wish more and more people would understand this, but we see this a lot. Um, if you're going to be the type of person with children, 
whatever age they are, from very, very young to teenagers, whatever, doesn't make a difference. You should be, as a parent or a guardian, sitting there and watching what they're doing all times. So you just don't drop them off, say, I'll pick you up in an hour. It doesn't work that way. If you're going to do something like that, um, yeah, it's one, it makes the coach feel a little bit uncomfortable um, because they're either being treated like a babysitting service. Uh, also, you know, we have a minimum rule of at least two people present, two adults present at any coaching session. And one of them has got to be the parent. Uh, if the parent can't, can't be there for some reason, I got to know about that in advance and I'll have one of my other assistants with me at the time. Uh, sometimes if it's like at my facility, we'll have video recording of all sessions and that is to show them what they're doing wrong, that sort of thing. But it's also to, if the parent wants to see what went on during, during the session, like there it is right there. And you can see how they're like not goofing around. They're actually trying to learn. Okay. So that to me is very important. Next, you're going to decide what they're, what the person is there for. If you're there getting coaching or if your child is getting coaching, what is the end goal? Is it for competition? Is it just to learn it? It really all is up to you. And when it comes to kids, you can't force them one way or the other. I've seen a lot of kids do pretty well um, in competitions. But the fact is, they didn't want to be there in the first place, and it was more forced on them by their parents. And here's my rule. You don't want to be there, you tell me. I'm going to tell the parent. They're like, look, they just don't want to do this. Though more often than not, I find that this is where the kids get to relax. They come in, they shoot their games, they're, they're learning, they're having fun. Um, I do mostly one-on-one -on -one sessions, but I do do group sessions as well, where I'll have like four or five kids together. And the reason I do that is so they can get to learn to shoot with other people. And I do that with adults as well. Because if you're actually, if you have the goal of shooting competition, I hate to tell you, but you're not going to be the only person on the line shooting. There's going to be a lot of people. And the other thing I'm going to say is, I do some things that people find weird. Like when I'm training uh, people at my place, I'll have a radio going or a TV blasting. And there's a reason for that because you're never shooting in silence. This is not some kind of temple of archery we're going to where it's complete silence and concentration and all that. Um, in the real world, there's going to be a lot of noise and you're going to have to learn to cope with that and you got to get used to it. So you have to get used to the distractions. So anyone who says, well, we're going to shoot in nice and a quiet place and we're going to listen to, you know, calming sounds. Yeah, that ain't working. We're going to do this in a way that's going to simulate what your end goal is. If your end goal is competition, if you've ever been to a large archery tournament, the minute that that whistle blows and it's safe to fire, it sounds like World War III with arrows hitting the bales. And sometimes people who practice and they're used to shooting in their club when there's no one around and it's nice and it's silent, you blast the radio or you expose them to 10 people on the line with them and they freak out. So we try to 
numb that sort of thing and get used to it. Last part of what I'm going to get into with this is, and like I said, this is me, this is how I do it, but when it comes to the coach, okay, and it, because I, I run a, a pro shop, that sort of thing, um, and I work on the kids' bows, and I work on, on my adult students' bows, yeah, you can bring your bow to me, and I can fix stuff on there, and whenever something goes wrong, I'm there to help you out. But a little while after you're starting and getting into all this, I start teaching people how to work on their own equipment within reason. So simple things I'll teach them is how to reserve the center serving, how to tie a D-loop, how to tie a knocking point, that sort of thing. How to know if something is off with their bow how to take measurements on their bow so that if something is wrong, they can actually just break out tape measure, measure axle to axle, measure the brace height, and they can actually tell when something's not right. Break out a T-square and take a look at it and see if maybe a knocking point has, has moved. All these are little skills. They're not very hard to learn, but here's why I teach them. It's very simple. It's because as you mature in this sport, you can't be forced to go back to a shop and be reliant on somebody to do everything for you. The same way you don't count on somebody to tie your shoelaces after a certain age. You gotta learn how to do it on your own. It makes them more independent and more confident in what they're doing. How I do it, um, I start teaching the basic skills. I'll actually have them sit there. If I have to make a change to one of their bows, I'll be like, okay, look, this is how you're doing. Watch what I do. And then I have formal sessions with them too. Like I coach a lot of girls um, and a couple of times a month, I'll have them all get together and work on a different skill. So they'll all sit there with their bows. I'm like, all right, now we're going to take off the center serving. This is how it's done. Carefully, they take it off. Like then they'll all get their serving jigs out and they'll learn how to serve it. They'll use my equipment and we'll do that. And eventually, a lot of them want to get their own stuff to do it, and that's great. And they'll keep that in their toolbox with them, keep it in their, in their bow bag. So when I see, they go to a tournament, and I've seen them shoot, and they have a breakdown, they can fix that thing right then and there. Oh, my, my serving's starting to unravel. They don't panic. They just sit down in the corner, bang, 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 knock it out, get done, move on. And it goes back to an old saying that's out there. It's going to sound corny, but... Like, if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach him to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. Same thing with this. If you can teach the principles of how to work on your own bow, you'll become more independent, you'll get better at what you're doing, and you'll have the confidence that if something goes wrong, you can address it yourself. We actually go further than that, and one of the other things we teach them is how to fletch their own arrows. And I have a real simple thing with that. With my students, after, say, two or three months with me, they get a little packet. And what's in that little packet? In that packet, there's this little simple serving jig, there's a spool of serving, and there's a fletching jig in there, too. And I've experimented with different fletching jigs to give them. And, like, right now, it's about cost and what, what we can afford to give them in that sort of thing because I don't charge them for any of this stuff. 
because a coach has to give as well, you know. So they get that, and then we'll have classes on how to fletch. Now, all of a sudden, they don't have to wait for me. If they have a vein ripoff, they can fix it on their own. And they get really into this. And as they get more advanced, like a year or two into it, then they start getting into tuning. And my shop is always open to them. They can come. My shop's based out of my house. They can come to my house in my workshop. They get down there and have a couple of nights a week where all the girls get together. They have access to all my equipment down there, my tuning machines, my bow press and everything. And I'm there watching what they're doing. But you got to see them go at it and start doing everything on their own. They know what they're doing with tuning. I've taught them all that. And they enjoy it. They like the tinkering. They try to see what makes it work best for them. And some of them, I don't even touch their bows anymore because they do it on their own. So that's where coaching goes a little bit further. Now, last thing I'll bring up with this is what should you be paying a coach? That's a sticky subject with a lot of people. A coach is someone who's going to be there to guide you, to help you, to help you learn. And how much money are you going to pay that person? Really, they vary. I mean, there are coaches that charge $30 an hour, $50 an hour, $150 an hour because they have some reputation like, I produce champions. Yeah, frankly, I don't care. If you can financially afford it, great. If you can't financially afford it, then you shouldn't strap yourself trying to make this happen. And I tell this to parents all the time. If you are unable to afford coaching for some reason, you know, you can't put the rest of your life, you know, in a bind to to do that. You get coaching when you can afford it. Now, that, that may come off of saying, well, well, then some people are just never going to get coaching because they can never afford it. And that happens. Um, what's different about the programs that I run, and I'm only bringing this up because if anyone's listening out there who wants to try to do this in archery, wants to make a go of it, has kids that want to do this, then listen to what I'm going to say. And I wish other people would do this the same way. And there are a lot of people out there who do it exactly the same way or try to do it like this. What I do is this. I have a lot of people come to me and say, listen, I wish I could get my kid into something like that. Or they'll see me when I'm shooting at the public public field and like, I wish I could get my, my kid into something like that, but we can't afford it. I mean, we're based in New York City. In New York City, you have income levels all over the map. And there's some people who like, their main concern is putting food on the table, paying for for a roof over their over their heads. And that is the most important thing to them. And they wish they can give their kids things, but they can't. I mean, they just can't. So one of the programs I started a couple of years back is, you know, you can try archery for free. You make an appointment with us, you come down, we have the equipment and try out there and see how you like it. We don't charge you a dime for that. And I wish other people would do the same thing. Where I go a little bit further, and I don't know, some people criticize me for it, whatever, is that I've, over the years, I try to every month put a little bit of extra money aside, and I'll 
pay for a, for a basic bow and take that out of my inventory and put that on the side. If I see a used bow somewhere, I'll go ahead and buy a used bow, keep it there. And I'm talking about kids' bows and basic adult bows, that sort of thing. And here's what I do with those. Um, occasionally, someone will come to me who's, you know, when I see that kid start out, kid, young adult, doesn't make a difference. They start out and like, you could see they got this spark. They really, really want to do this. But financially, they don't have a way around doing it. What they'll do is they'll like, look, this is not about money. This is about spreading the sport to as many people as possible. And what we do through our program is you come in, if you really, really want to do this, then when I'm doing my days at the range out there in the public range, you come down, I'll have all that equipment in my car. You tell me you're coming, I don't care what day it is, how many days it is, you're going to come down there and we're going to teach you how to do this and you can shoot with our equipment to your heart's content keep going. And that started with like one or two kids that I started doing it with and now I've got, I don't know, like nine or ten who would never have access to any of these archery programs because they just can't afford it. Um, the parents appreciate the heck out of it. They love it because not for nothing, sometimes in the afternoon during the school weeks, this is like the only, you know, out that they have. And this is the way that they can work out a lot of stress from school. Um, otherwise, who knows what they'd be up to. And it doesn't make a difference what walk of life you come from. Sometimes you need that release and this is how they do it. So they use all my equipment. And if they really, really are into it, you know, they, they want to shoot tournaments and stuff. And none of these kids, and, and I'm not kidding about that. A lot of them, for the most part, could never dream of affording some of the stuff. Because if you look at the price of equipment these days, it is not cheap. They, uh, they would have no, no way of buying it. I mean, the basic bow is going to cost you, what, $300 by the time you get set up and all that. $300 might not sound like a lot of money to people, but to some people, but for these kids, it's like an insurmountable thing that they'd never be able to do. And the parents, as much as they want to give them something, could never do it. So, remember those bows I talked about that I have on the side? I'll take one. Like, here, you're really into this? Here's your bow. This is yours. Now you take this from now on. You take care of it. It's your responsibility. And we started from there. And some of these kids have really gone far and they become really, really good shooters. So that's how I try to spread the archery out there. Try to try spe Our sport is very special in that it's individual. You don't need to rely on a bunch of other people and a team. It's not a team sport per se. And they can do that. So that's what I've set up. And, you know... I'm not trying to make myself sound out like Mr. Goody Two-Shoes, but not for nothing, if we had more people doing this, and there are other programs similar to this around the country, I think that not only would the sport grow a lot, we get out to more people who never would have a chance to do it. And I've done this with adults and children alike, and the look on someone's face when you're giving them their first bow, something they could never afford on their own, it's... You, you never forget it. So... Getting to what archery coaches should be charging, like, it's really up to you. What can you afford? 
and you're going to know if someone's into it really for the money and you're just another number to them, like go through the motions. And if you don't like that, then don't do that. You know, sometimes you might have to go through a few different people till you find someone who's really into it. A lot of times you'll have somebody down at your local range who actually does it for the love of the sport and will just, you know, take you under their wing and teach you how to do it. That's the way I got started. So what I mean to say by all this is use your own judgment. Get what you want out of it. If you don't find a program that works for you, move on to somebody else. Um, like I said, having the, the highest certification in the land and this and that, say, well, I have a proven record of champions. Okay, great. How many students have you coached? Hundreds? And how many turned out to be champions? Two? Well, have I talked to other students and are they really happy with you? You know, all this you've got to do your own, your own investigations for. So it's your money. You know, speak for your money. Be like, listen, I don't think I'm getting what I want out of this. And either they're going to change their tune and try to adapt it to you, or you move on. So that's where I am with this. And I know I kind of drew it out a long way. and got, You go down all kinds of different rabbit holes when you're discussing this. I've probably had to record this podcast four or five times because it's a very touchy subject with me and I can get really, really riled up over it. Um, I'm trying to bring it as calmly as possible because not for nothing, it, when it comes to teaching people and kids especially, it's the most important thing, okay? You have to be able to help someone grow. If you're just there to collect money from somebody, um, to sit there and watch them shoot and never comment on anything, be like, yeah, work on this, work on this next time. Yeah, you're not a coach. You're somebody who's there, who's charging for their time to critique somebody and nothing else. And there are a lot of coaches out there and a lot of them have really, really good intentions, and those are the people you got to look for. Um, if you have any questions about this or anything we've gone over, feel free to drop us a message or, um, you know, post a comment. We'll get back to you and we'll, we will answer you. Um, sign up for our newsletter and you'll get different, different notifications when we put out another podcast, when we have events going on. And if you're in the New York City area, uh, we're located in Staten Island, but I can pretty much travel anywhere. Um, if you're in the New York City area and you have a kid who wants to learn archery the first time, if you're an adult who wants to learn, try out archery the first time, then give us a call, leave us a message, and we'll make it happen for you. So until the next podcast, when we hear from you again, you hear from us again, um, Shoot straight, be well, and take care.